This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Matt Bloomfield and you're listening to the Heroes of HP12 podcast. Welcome to the Heroes of HB12, the podcast that's all about the greatest football club in the land, Wickham Wanderers. I'm Michael Kenny, and I'm joined by Chairboy superfan Adam Cooper. Coming up, we'll review last week's milestone trip to Shrewsbury Town and preview this weekend's equally huge Adams Park return versus Exeter City. But let's kick off with the big headline, a shake-up best described by the club as rather seismic. After 13 memorable years, the Gareth Ainsworth love affair is over. 118 games as a player from November 2009 and 550 games as our gaffer from 2012, Ainsworth steered the club from the brink in 2014, taking us to the unprecedented heights of the championship just six years later. Ainsworth has left for championship free-fallers QPR, but leaves the Wanderers in a much better place than when he first took charge against Dagenham and Redbridge all those years ago. Adam, welcome to the show. Uh, we've we've had a week to process this now. Um, I, I, personally, I don't think I'm 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 not quite there yet. But uh, how how are you feeling about this massive change? And let's speak about Ainsworth's legacy. Where does he now rank for you as an all-time club legend? Yeah, I think I think first of all, you know, I, even as late as Saturday driving up to Shrewsbury, I felt like I'd had the uh, the worst week of my life. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an emotional roller coaster, <laughs> constantly updating Twitter at work, um, just finding out what was going on. You know, messages from 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 people in the know or who think they're in the know, and it all became clear um, quite quickly um, what was going to happen. Um, thankfully, I think we've got some some very very good owners who appear to have dealt with it really well and really quickly. And, um, and you know, we were lucky enough to be in a situation where it was almost a sort of seamless passing of the baton over to Matty. Um, as far as his legacy, I mean, those numbers there that you've just spoken about are nothing short of mind blowing in modern day football. Um, you know, you go back to to that day at uh, at Torquay that we'll all remember. <laughs> Um, Sir Colin Daniel doing us a favour, um, <laughs> but, but you know, I think where where we've come from, um, when you think about you know that day, it wasn't just 
relegation to to the non-league or conference. It was, are we going to be sustainable as a football club? Mm. Um, who's going to stay? Who's going to go? And, you know, you look back to to some of that squad. You know, we had players playing out of position. We had players like, you know, blessing Max Kretschmar, who was a hundred percent in effort, but probably not of the of the quality of football league player. And I'm just, you know, picking on him. He's one that jumps out. But <clears throat> what Ainsworth have done with that group of players um, was nothing short of remarkable. Um, you know, then sort of more modern times, you think of the, the Aston Villa Cup games, you think of Tottenham, you think of three trips to Wembley, you think of Man City. It's got a lot of parallels that can be drawn with Martin O'Neill. You know, Martin O'Neill mm. got us promoted from from the conference then to, uh, then to what was then Division 2, now League 1. Um, got us to Wembley three times. Obviously, Gaz done the same thing, albeit, you know, we couldn't all be there for uh, for probably the sweetest trip to Wembley. <laughs> um, but for me, it wasn't necessarily what Ainsworth done with the players on the pitch. It was the it was the little things, you know, very, very early on, using his own money to, to fund the purchase of training equipment that we needed. Mm. Um, it was the little things, you know, the, the evening with Gareth Ainsworth. I don't know if you went over there, but we went over there to his... Uh, to the village where he lives in a local village hall. And, uh, and, you know, he invited Wickham fans over there to go and listen to, to the story of his life. I remember when, when my little one was star of the week and came home with the star of the week, Teddy from school and Ainsworth made a big thing about having a picture taken with him so he could stick it in his book. And that was just the kind of guy that he was. And he, he was Wickham Wanderers for, for so long. And I think his um, never too high, never too low, phrase will will always resonate with you know what our club is all about it's not about being on a constant high it's about understanding that a club of our size is always going to go through those lows um, and it makes the highs more enjoyable speaking of highs I mean one of the things that I always remembered about Ainsworth wasn't actually his tenure as a Wickham player or a manager and you you might know where I'm going with this, but I mean, one of the, one of my favourite earliest memories as a Wickham fan was going to Selhurst Park for the FA Cup replay against Wimbledon and being absolutely delighted when he blazed his penalty yeah. over the bar, that pivotal <laughs> yeah. penalty. And um, I, I remember when when he came to the club in uh, in 2009, and I was like, Ainsworth, Ainsworth, Ainsworth. He's the guy that missed the penalty. Yes, and uh, there was always a, that took a while to kind of. I mean, obviously he didn't score the penalty, so we loved him for that. But yeah, there's always something that I kind of had with Ainsworth, and obviously he kind of shook that image off by growing his hair out and you know becoming this wild thing, rock star, legend yeah. manager that we all know and love him for now. But uh, but yeah, absolutely agree with every, everything you said there. Really, I think the the proximity that he had to the fans was was quite quite a unique. Uh, quite a unique thing for a you know a football league manager, a football league yeah, one manager, and uh, you know to invite fans to his home town, his home village, you know to to you know come and sit down with him just speaks volumes of the man. I don't know if that's something that he's going to be doing uh, with with QPR, <laughs> but who knows? I mean, it, it's kind of you talk about parallels earlier. I mean, there are kind of parallels. Uh, although perhaps not as extreme between you know Wickham and where QPR now they they've been Absolutely. through some turmoil they're in freefall the fans are not happy with you know what's going on with the current um, management regime um, with the ownership regime and, and Ainsworth he has a really really tough job 
you know, in terms of guiding that ship and first of all, steadying it. I imagine he's going to have to do quite a bit of wheeling, dealing. He's probably going to have to, you know, shift over a few players and, and off, you know, an offload, probably some expensive players on that squad. But um, knowing what he achieved with Wickham, achieving that with zero budget, practically, um, what are your, I mean, we want him to do well, but taking emotion out of it for a second, knowing what QPR are like, as a club, I mean, I'm I'm worried. I'm I, I I do fear for him, and I don't mean that in a patronising way. They are a club under tremendous pressure right now. Uh, you know, he goes into his first game. Un, it's unfair to judge him on that first game. He had practically no preparation time. But you know, three-one loss against Blackburn as well, hometown club. You know, they're doing quite well, riding up high up the table still. But he's got a real challenge on his hands at QPR, hasn't he? Absolutely. I mean, I think. The biggest problem there is the amount of time that the board are prepared to give their managers. You would you would like to think that with what have we got twelve games left, fourteen games left, something like that, um, championship might have a few more because they had a little break for the World Cup. But um, you would like to think that that they're thinking in their minds, he keeps us up, he keeps his job, he gets rid of the bad eggs. There are quite clearly quite a lot of bad eggs there who are who are taking a massive wage and are not doing anywhere near enough. And I think as long as he sees himself through to the end of the season, he's given a chance in the transfer window, as you've touched on there, is not a manager who really needs a budget. He's a manager who's very well connected. Um, in his own words, he doesn't sign D-heads, um, which I think is, is massive in the championship. He likes a small squad. Um, so, you know, he'll, he'll certainly be, be wheeling and dealing. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, if he came back for one or two, mm. um, maybe a wing, maybe a scowen, um, and maybe one or two players who have played for us previously. You know, you look at the likes of Fred at Luton. Um, you know, depending on how he does, and if he can get them back up to where a club of that size should be. You know, people like Mametti. Um, you know, would would be the obvious ones. I think. From from his point of view, it was always going to come. Yeah, um, he was always going to be manager of QPR. And when was that going to be? I don't think Wickham fans have done themselves any favours, and I don't talk about every Wickham fan. But I think the beginning of this season there was huge overreaction to what was perceived to be a poor transfer window. Um, and I think when you look at it um, in isolation, actually, you know, we got rid of um, of Stocko which was unfortunate, but we've upgraded with Max. Mm. Um, I think, you know, we got rid of Anthony Stewart. There's no doubt that we upgraded with Mawson. Nobody could have foreseen what was going to happen with him, but he, he was an upgrade. Um, you know, there's absolutely no doubt that, that Anis had come on leaps and bounds. Um, Wing just, just, just wasn't fit towards the end of last season, so he was like a new signing. You had, you know, Freeman... The list goes on. Um, so I think it, it it was always going to work out well when things settled down, when the injuries came back. You know, we were messed around by Man United for a goalkeeper and Max ended up coming in late and the start of the season was a bit disastrous. But I think from Gaz's point of view, he's probably looked at it and thought, I'm leaving him in a good place. The fans have been a little bit edgy. Um, perhaps it's time to go and try something else. And I think... 
you know, we we love Gaz for what he's achieved. Um, you know, there needs to be a word for what Dobbo's done as well because I oh, think, yeah. absolutely. You know, when he took on that youth team, you look at some of the players that he's developed. He took on Josh Scown as a fourteen-year-old, um, and in my opinion, he's arguably one of the best defensive midfielders in that division now. He is an outstanding performer. Um, and, you know, not only Dobbo, but Josh as well. You look at him, or you listen to the interviews, certainly in the last two or three months from Gaz, and he talks about the work that Dobbo and Josh have done together. Um, I think those two are a huge miss as well. Um, in answer to your question, yeah, I'm concerned for Gaz as well. But I think if he can see it through to the end of the season, then... Um, then he's got a really big opportunity of of developing that squad and improving the squad and, and getting them back to, to where they belong because they are a big club. There's no doubt the, the challenge is there, but that's probably a challenge that he's relishing and we do absolutely wish him uh, all of the best and he's always going to have a home at HP12. Uh, he has left Wickham uh, in a better place than when he uh, came to us. And uh, we'll always thank him for that. So uh, thank you, Gaffer, for all the memories. Um, before we do move on, though, um, Adam, here's, here's a big question. And this is a question that I didn't actually see a, that much, although I perhaps wasn't looking in the right places. Um, has, has Gareth done enough to earn the title of Wickham's greatest league manager? There will there will be some that disagree with me, <laughs> uh, and I've I've experienced. You know, I was I was quite young in the O'Neill days, um, but I've experienced the some of the O'Neill days. I remember playing against Wickham, playing against Gaz actually at Wembley when he played for for Preston North End. Mm-hmm. Um, and just digressing slightly, funny story. Uh, <laughs> he he recognised four or five minutes from the end of the game that the game was gone. And in the days, I think it was 94, we played them. If you got yellow cardage, you got a letter through the post and it said the name of the stadium where you'd been booked. Ainsworth deliberately got himself booked so he could, uh, <laughs> he could prove that he played at Wembley <laughs> for, uh, for Preston North End. That's quite a cool little story that he told at his, uh, at his evening with. Um, but yeah, in my opinion, I think what he's done on and off the pitch exceeds what O'Neill done. Um, Martin O'Neill was an incredible man manager and, and leader of men. Um, you know, he he really got a load of non-footballers to the football league, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, and, and what he done was incredible. But I think from Ainsworth to take us from, you know, the, the absolute brink to the championship, in the shorter time that he did is absolutely incredible. And let's not forget, you know, the opportunity has arisen for him previously to go elsewhere. Um, He's been linked with Blackburn. He's been linked with QPR. He's been linked with Lincoln, um, you know, all sorts of jobs that have come up since he's been with us and he's stayed loyal. And I think he knows in his heart of hearts, he's done a fantastic job and nobody should begrudge him of the opportunity. Uh, in my opinion, just ahead of Martin O'Neill, um, and we should be uh, we should be getting ready to put a statue up in the car parks. So I think he's done a, an absolutely remarkable job. 
There's there's only one place to put that statue in the car park, indeed. Well, uh, we move from we move from one era to a new one, and uh, somewhat softening the blow of losing our longest serving league manager was the immediate news that another long serving legend was returning to fill the rock star shaped hole. Cutting short his good work in League Two with Colchester United, Mr. Wickham himself, Matt Bloomfield, was announced as our new manager, beginning a new era this past weekend with a trip to Shrewsbury Town. Obviously, we talked about the clubs and you know the clubs brilliant, uh, the brilliant way they handled the transition. You know the the news, uh, the the first corner flag tweet I can remember and I think many fans, I think it's the first time we've ever done a corner flag tweet um, you know, the the fact that it wasn't communicated as this, the world has ended, it was Blooms is coming in Gareth is going off to Pastures New that was done very very well and I've not actually seen I don't think I've seen any club on social media do it quite as well uh, as that no, I think you're right, and I think that's a, a testament to to the Kuigs for for what they've done. And I think it's been no secret that that their attitude is very, very similar to Gareth's in that they're very positive. You know, they don't get too high when times are high; they don't get too low when times are low. Um, and I think you know we're very, very lucky to have these people at the helm at our club. Um, it's, it's a bit of a funny one, really, because if you just said to me two years ago, Ainsworth's going to leave and go to QPR, and you're going to be taking the Colchester United manager who's got four months managerial experience, <laughs> I'd have been uh, I'd have been crying myself to sleep. <laughs> but, it, you know, the stars have aligned. Everything has, um, has sort of fallen into place. And I think Matt is the kind of guy who he understands what Gareth's done. Um, he understands the culture that he had there. Um, you know, he understands what he was all about. This never too high, never too low. And I keep touching on that, but I think that's a really, really big thing. You know, the the quality of person that you're signing. You talk about people like Joe Jacobson, David Wheeler. You know, Sam Vokes has, uh, has played at the very, very highest level in the game. And he's the first player out to chat to the kids and, you know, make himself available to supporters. I think that's the kind of, of of person that Ainsworth has got through the door. And it would have been a terrible shame to get one of these journeyman managers who just, you know, pulls anybody in who's cheap. And, and the whole basis that our club is built on falls apart. Mm. Um, so it, it, it seems like the sensible transition. Um, I think if you ask Matt, I think he'd even say it'd probably come earlier than he'd thought. Um, and maybe earlier than he would have liked. And, you know, we'll never know. But I I can't think of anybody who I would trust more to to take the job on and chuck himself into it than Blooms. I think he's going to do a really good job. I, I know that we couldn't have foreseen when it was going to happen. But, you know, we, we said it earlier that we knew that, you know, Gareth was going to go eventually. Personally speaking, I was surprised that he stayed uh, as long as he did. Because yeah. I think, uh, you know, the last season, you know, being able to reestablish ourselves in the top half of, uh, of League One following, you know, the relegation from the championship. I thought that that was kind of, 
you know, we were looking for that immediate bounce back. We didn't get that. Perhaps, you know, Gareth had reached that point where he was like, I've, you know, that Martin O'Neill peak. I've taken the yeah. club as far as I possibly could. Um, obviously, I was happy and delighted when he when he announced that he was going to stay, of course. But we knew this was happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bloom's going to Colchester. That I mean, I think that hit everybody uh, right in the <laughs> right in the heart. Um, you know, you and I spoke off air about, you know, Bloomfield's proximity to the fans, obviously being a nice transition from yeah. from Gareth, you know your your Nando's uh, <laughs> experience, <laughs> you know him shouting at me across the car park. Yeah. Um, you know it, he's got that relationship with the fans already built in. To see him leave, particularly to go to Colchester United, was um, yeah, it was a bit difficult to take. But he did very well with with that side. They were really struggling at the foot of League Two. He he galvanised them. He got them back up the table, uh, and that's that's absolutely to his credit. Um, it, it obviously, is as a replacement for Amesworth, he's he's perfect. He understands the culture. He understands the legacy. He was here for all of it, and um, you know, like you said, the the foundation of the club has been largely unaffected by this. Now, I think the one thing that is in my mind at the moment, perhaps we'll get a glimpse of this this coming weekend, is what changes do you think that he's going to make to the side in terms of the way they play because you know historically and and I know our system has evolved you know particularly this season you know we've been playing some really good football uh don't tell Paul Merzen that but um you know the way I always saw Wickham under Ainsworth was this aggressive side that always pushed up liked the wing play tried to bypass the midfield but did lean on the midfield as those kind of dogged you know defensive group with Blooms being one of those defensive, you know, bulldogs that we once employed so well. Do you see Wickham moving towards a style of play that suited Blooms when he was playing as opposed to Ainsworth when, when he was playing as a winger? I think we saw a very small snippet um, on Saturday of what we might expect. And, uh, and I think that it's very unusual that a Wickham team goes away from home and has the lion's share of possession, outpasses the opposition, um, has more chances than the opposition. <clears throat> um, he started with what looked like a back four, but then when we were defending, reverted to a back five, quite similar to, to what we'd done at home in a previous game. Um, but when he realised it wasn't working, wasn't nervous at all about changing it. Um there was a clear emphasis on on passing the ball, but not passing for passing's sake. Um, I know we're going to touch on the on the game at the weekend shortly, so I won't go too much into uh, into the detail on that specifically. But I think he shouldn't be judged on that. But I think that gives us a very small insight into his style. I think he's going to try and keep the foundations of what Gaz did. Um, I think trying to get the ball from back to front as quickly as possible will still be at the heart of what we do, but we might try and do it in a different way. Um, maybe passing through the thirds a little bit more. Um, and um, and like you say, I think the Scowans, the Thompsons, um, maybe even Nick Freeman um, are going to be really, really important to the way we play those link-up players who work between the defensive players and the attacking players um, are going to be really important because that's what Blues did so well for so long. Mm. Um, I don't think we're ever going to be 100% sure of what we can expect until we get it. But um, but that was 
what I saw starting to evolve on Saturday was a more a slightly more possession based game, um, with with a little bit more emphasis on passing, but not over passing. And that's particularly impressive given the fact that he wasn't even he, he wasn't even able to take much of any training in the build-up to that game. I mean, it all happened so quickly last week. You know, uh, JJ took, what, 44 minutes of training, Blooms comes in, and, you know, to, to, to see to see the beginnings of that new system in only, you know, a couple of days is, is very impressive. And I'm very keen to see, you know, the evolution, the continued evolution as we head into this weekend's game, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, I guess this is a question that perhaps no one wants to ask and even less want to answer. But um, in terms of our, you know, objective for this season, now that this is, a, you know, well, we use the word again, seismic, this seismic change, um, do you think we can still make the playoffs? and uh, or, or do you think that at this point, stability and giving Blooms the time to impose his structure. Uh, is that the new primary goal for the remain the remainder of the season? I think pressure's off a bit. Mm. Uh, you know, I think under Ainsworth, there was an expectation that we needed to make the playoffs. And I think because of the success that he's given us, rather than looking over our shoulders, every fan will be looking upwards and seeing how many points are we from Barnsley, how many points are we from Derby, you know, who's playing who. Um, and I think the pressure coming off gives us an opportunity to to crack on with that goal towards the playoffs. I think the difference will be that if we don't make the playoffs, I don't think that there will be any anything like the reaction that we would have got had we not made the playoffs under Ainsworth, fairly or unfairly. Um, yeah, I think if you're a a sensible fan looking at where we're going with the size of the club, the fan base, and you look above us and you're seeing clubs like Derby, <laughs> um, you know, Ipswich, it, Sheffield Wednesday, it's absolute madness. And, you know, these are clubs who, you know, even as recently as me being 10, 11, 12, you know, I remember sitting and watching with my dad on the TV in the Premier League and we're now talking about Wickham overtaking them in the league. And, you know, it, it shows how far we've come. Um, and I don't think that there would be a massive overreaction if we didn't make the playoffs. But I think in the back of Matt's mind, I think there'll be a part of him that really wants to push for it. And I think as far as the players are concerned, like I say, they're very much pressure off. But not only that, there's a number of players who are out of contract at the end of the season. And I think mm. there's going to be a lot of players who are either fighting for a contract here or fighting for a contract somewhere else. Um, and if that means that they put in an extra 5% or an extra 10%, and I'm not saying that they don't on a week-in, week week-out week basis anyway, but it might just improve us. You know, new manager, something to prove. Um, you might find that it gets an extra 5% from somewhere that, that we've not had because we all get comfortable with what we're familiar with. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens. Um, I think the message to Bloomfield privately and you know we're never going to find this out but I would imagine the message to Bloomfield privately would have been steady the shit help with the handover we don't want this you know massive massive week in the club's history to ruin the whole season but if you don't finish in the playoffs the pressure's off we'll go again next year I would imagine that that would have been the message that he was given I hope so I hope so. I, I, I mean, I think 
the one thing that we've demonstrated uh, over the years, whether it's the supporters trust or the Kuigs that have come in, is we are a patient club and we are prepared Absolutely, to give yeah. these things time. I I think had had any other club gone up into the championship and had the first half of the season that we had, you would have most you know clubs electing to probably switch their manager. We stayed, yeah. you know, we stuck. We didn't twist, um, and and I think that speaks to, you know, the, the the management of the club as as well. So yeah, I'm 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 confident that Blooms is is going to get the time. I think it, you know, if we if we go on a you know coming off the coming off the defeat of the weekend, which we'll talk about in a second, you know, we had we, we went into that game five wins uh, on on the trot. You know, losing that was obviously disappointing. Um, but like you said, I think the pressure was kind of off. We kind of just knew that if something happened, we'd, we'd be fine. You saw a couple of tweets, you know, from some from some trolls and memers that were like, blooms out. No one really <laughs> meant that. Hopefully they didn't mean it. But I imagine, you know, if we if we lose on Saturday, Touchwood, that doesn't happen. Um, you know, if we go on a run of poor form, which, you know, can happen when you have these big changes, you know, that destabilized, uh, you know, that destabilization is you would that growing rumbling, you know, we, we might have fans, you know, that that rhetoric that we had at the start of the season that could creep back in. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope Blooms can kind of ride that out. I hope the Kuigs can ride that out. We'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I, I think I'm confident we'll give him time. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just so curious to see how things are, are going to go. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm no Nostradamus or anything like that, but I am very proud to say that about three years ago, I should have gone to Paddy Power and put a bet on Matt Bloomfield being the next Wickham Wanderers manager because I was dead cert it was going to happen. And the moment he went to Colchester, I really thought he wasn't going to. It's happened. I'm super happy. My dad, I think he owes me a fiver. Um, let's let's move on to Shrewsbury Town. So the Bloomfield era kicked off in earnest at the weekend as we travelled to fellow playoff hopefuls Shrewsbury Town. Heading in, we were riding high on a league record five straight wins, but the form book was thrown out of the window with the Shrews condemning the new regime to a 2-0 defeat with an unfortunate Jordan Willis own goal in the first half and Raquel Pike's strike four minutes from time. I personally, Adam, don't think that there's much that we can really glean from the result other than those kind of structural, you know, the tactical adjustments. Um, you know, we, we have literally just been talking about giving him time, but can, let's talk about where the players' minds must have been because it's a, it was an emotional roller coaster for them as well as the fans. You know, they come into training. That I think we've all seen the video of Gareth talking to them. I mean, it, it looked like they were at a funeral. Um, it must have been hard for them to get going. Uh, you were at the Shrewsbury game. How? What was the general vibe? What was the vibe with the fans? And what were the big kind of uh, emotional takeaways from from you for that game? I mean, I, like I said at the beginning, I, I was absolutely wrecked. Even still driving up to Shrewsbury, I just, it was it was just one of those weeks where, you know, as much as we all try and put life first and football second, when you support a little club and you go and watch them home and away, and you've been doing it for for thirty years, there is an emotional attachment, and um, and I think that was the. That was the first thing that struck me was the kind of outpouring of emotion. Um, 
everybody just said exactly the same thing. You know, we're all absolutely ruined. We need <laughs> we needed the weekend. And if that's how we're feeling, you know, imagine what it's been like for the players who have worked with with this guy as a teammate, later a manager, um, for so many years. You know, they've had his positive vibes and his um his management style for a long, long time. What we have to remember is these aren't players who are earning 10, 20, 30, 40,000 men a week. These are players who are earning a relatively modest wage, some of whom we've already touched on a are out of contract. You know, some of them probably worried about, are they going to get another contract? They're going to have to drop down a division um, to go with the emotion of losing their manager. I would have thought most of them under Ainsworth would have had an idea whether they'd be staying or going at the end of the season. Um, So I think there's a lot of emotions, first of all, that the players have been feeling. Um, Secondly, I think Matt made it very, very clear himself that he wanted to come in. He didn't want to be Blooms. He wanted to be the gaffer. He didn't want to do it the exact same way that Gaz had done it. He wanted to make some clear adjustments. Um, And I don't know whether maybe he tried a little bit too hard on reflection. Um, And you can't fault him for that. And I think it wasn't a game where we were absolutely appalling um, and there was nothing positive to take away from it. I'm going to sound like a really bitter away fan. In fact, I'm going to sound like an away fan. (laughs) Who, uh, who has just been to watch their team lose at Wickham because everything that we hear every week, you could apply to Shrewsbury. They were a big team. Mm. They did the dark arts absolutely brilliantly. Um, they were a horrible team to play against. The grass was long, managed very, very well by a very experienced manager. Um, and... You know, I was going to say they took their chance as well. They didn't really have many chances, to be honest with them. You know, Jordan Willis sliding in and toe-poked toe one in his own net. And then a goal four minutes before time. Um, and again, I'm going to sound like a moaning fan, which isn't what I sound like most of the time. <laughs> I can promise you that. But, you know, I think everybody looking at the highlights can see that we clearly could have had a penalty. Um, yes, yes. And if that's awarded and it goes in... You know, you you might be walking away with with a point, and that's a positive result for um, for the first game in charge. But you know, I think we went for it and um, and got caught out. Two individual mistakes. It wasn't like you know we we played badly all game and and been done. It was two individual mistakes. I think it was one or two. I shan't name names. Those who were there will know who they were. One or two who who really struggled. Whether that was because they were off the back of a a rough week or whether they've just had an off day, which we all have. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I certainly didn't walk away being really negative and having caught blooms for two or three minutes after the game when my little one was desperately waiting for him to sign his, uh, his number 10 shirt. <laughs> uh, he was, he was really super upbeat. Um, and he was the same old Matty B that we've been used to for the last goodness knows how many years. Um, and yeah, that that was great to see. It, it, there would have been nothing worse than him coming out with his head down. I've lost my first game, but I just don't think that's the kind of character that he is. Um, and the players all seemed, you know, pretty level-headed about it as well. Obviously, nobody's happy to lose. I'm not going to sit here and say they were happy. They were cheesed off that they'd lost, but mm. they were still all in a really, really good place, which I think is uh, is a testament to to what Gaz and Dobbo and the team have done to to how the club have handled it as a whole, to the supporters' reaction um, to what's happened. 
um, and also to the way that Blooms has taken over and the way that he's conducted himself over the last week as well. So, I think I'd actually purged the handball incident from my mind because I completely forgot to even jot it down to talk about on, on this podcast. I, I, I'm never one to moan about referees. We'll leave yeah, that to that. AP. Um, but it's just... I just I cannot for the life of me watching the replays back over and over and over again seeing the referee's vantage point that's got to be one of the biggest ref clangers I can remember and it always well in the in the lower leagues and there are plenty of clangers let's be real but um what was the what you know what was the mood like the general because everyone could see it yeah, I think, everyone. and I, I have no idea how Shrewsbury. Like, obviously, they're going to run off, and they're not going to. They're not going to turn around to referee and go, "Yeah, I touched it on my hand, mate." Yeah, but, yeah. Like, oh, I, what a mistake! I think, really, really unusually, the referee had taken up almost a too good of position, which just never happens at our level. You know, normally they're obstructed by ten players, and goodness knows what else. Um, he'd taken up a brilliant position. He had a really clear view of it. Um, I don't think, obviously we all appealed, we'd seen that there was a hand, but I don't think until anybody's got home and actually seen it again, anybody realised actually how blatant it was. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, looking back at it, um, it, it, it's just one of those things that happens in football. And, you know, you get some... And you don't get others. And, you know, you like to think over the course of 46 games that they balance themselves out. But it was just, it, it, it was one of those games where nothing was going our way. We didn't have a huge number of of real big chances, but nothing was falling for us. You know, just that final ball wasn't quite what it normally is, you know. Mm. Wingy was getting himself in some really good areas and just perhaps his final ball, which is normally immaculate, just wasn't happening. You know, it had a couple of set pieces and the deliveries were poor. Um, it was just one of those games where nothing was going for us. And I think when that happened, I think everybody was sort of confined to the uh, to the opinion that, that we were going to get beat. It was just one of those days. Um, and like I say, we hadn't played badly. You know, we outpassed uh, we outpassed Shrewsbury. Sorry, um, we we had more possession than than what they had, which is very unlike us away from home. Um, and I think they looked at it and they said, you know, let Wickham have the ball mm. um, because we know that they prefer to have less possession and catch teams on the break and um, you know play to their strengths, which is very very talented wingers and. It's, it's going to happen. Sometimes when you play away in this division, you're going to go to a team and you're going to get out Wickhamed. And that absolutely 100% happened to us on Saturday. And it, it, it's one of the away games that I've driven away from. You never want to lose. But I haven't driven away in absolute dire straits. Um, you know, if we've lost one in six, um, admittedly, you know, their previous two results hadn't been fantastic, but but prior to that, they've been on a really good run of form as well. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they've got a good manager and they've got a bloody good squad there as well. I think when you look at everything in isolation, it certainly isn't the end of the world. 
very much a case, like you said, knowing how Shrewsbury play, knowing their manager, that when you go there and you get that kind of result and they play the way they do and everybody knows that and, and when Wickham get out Wickhamed, all you can do is just kind of go, okay, <laughs> just yeah. a shrug of yeah, the shoulders. Exactly right, it yeah. is what it is. <laughs> You're just going to move on. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to move swiftly on. We're going to turn our attention now to this weekend's home game against Gary Caldwell's Exeter City back in League One, making their first trip to Adams Park in five years. Currently sitting mid-table, Exeter ended a four-game winless run at the weekend with a 2-0 victory over strugglers Cambridge United. Likely galvanised by the result, the Cornish side travels seeking only their second ever win in HP12, the first being a 1-0 victory back on New Year's Day in 2013. Saying that, I don't think we have a particularly great record against them either. Um, Adam, the reverse fixture early in the season wasn't a particularly happy one. Uh, from what you remember from that game, what adjustments do you think that we need to make to ensure that we get back on track? Uh, well, I mean, you know that that came right in the uh, in the thick of that run that we were talking about at the beginning of that the nightmare uh, early run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, at the beginning of the podcast. That um, you know, I don't think really we can take too much from that performance. Um, I think Bloom has had a week with the players. Um, you know, the players who have been. Um, on the fringes because of injury or because of form or whatever um, are, are going to be a week closer to coming back. I think we're going to see a fitter Jordan Willis. And uh, Bloom said that he was um, he was cramping up again on Saturday. It's going to take him a while to uh, to get back to his best. Um, I don't know what the situation is with Taff, um, but I think when you look at the available players that we're going to have compared to what we had then, it's a different side, a different squad in a different place. Um, you know, you've just touched on their um, on their run, um, one win in five, which was the uh, which was the game against Cambridge at the weekend. Um, the previous win was unbelievably back in January it was against Milton Keynes, mm-hmm. um, who aren't exactly in any kind of form themselves. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think that that being at home, there's going to be a big crowd. You've got the um, family day that they're putting on. Um, You've obviously got the uh, the Bloomfield effect as well, which I'm sure will get a, a few more bums on seats. Um, I'm I'm quite positive about this one. I really hope we win. Um, my little one's a mascot, and um, and my wife's uh, stepdad is an extra fan, so <laughs> I'm going to oh, be in wow. for some okay. stick if we don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is. Um, it sounds like there's a lot in this game for you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, we got some injury updates on uh, on Taffer. Um, I don't think he's uh, fully fit yet, but we have heard from Blooms that he is back on the grass, which is uh, obviously great to, to know. Great I mean, yeah. great, great news. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, we are a little depleted in that area at the moment. Um, still no Gape, who, you know, he's only played twice since October, but, you know, he's on the road uh, coming back. Um, and also uh, Grimmer as well, Grimmy, who is, is still recovering after that nasty uh, clash a couple of weeks ago. So we're still, you know, the same kind of faces. They're out yeah. at the moment. I imagine we'll probably be lining up with mostly the same kind of, uh, the same names from from last week's trip to Shrewsbury. Um, but, you know, like you were saying, in terms of the adjustments that we're looking to make that evolution, um, I think 
from from what Blooms has said uh, today in the build up to the game that he's had more training time. The players, I mean, the players already know Blooms anyway. It kind of goes without yeah. saying. Um, but this is the first time that he's had you know full complete. Uh, charge of a training session although you know listening to what Rob Kuhig was saying recently the Matt was very much you know running training sessions uh, and also very much in charge of that analytics which is obviously something that the Kuhigs are very very into as am I uh, as well so um, yeah just kind of excited to kind of see what happens nervous energy obviously I want you know Blooms's homecoming to be as uh, as successful as possible so do you obviously so you can kind of sock it to the uh, to the stepdad um uh, but also for 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 your, for your child who's who's going to be a mascot that's uh, yeah. they must be very excited oh I've heard nothing but for the last <laughs> god knows how long so his um his nan and my wife's stepdad live out in Australia and uh, it was their it was their Christmas present for him, uh, and obviously the uh, the Exeter link um, just made this the the ideal game for it, really. Um, so they'll be they'll be tuning in out in Oz to uh, to see if they can see their grandson walking out on the pitch. I'm sure, and uh, and yeah, it would be nice to return some of the stick that I had earlier in the season. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I'm hoping for a win. I'm. Um, yeah, I'm not. Uh, like I said, I'm not taking too much from last week. Um, I think we've defended really, really well recently. Um, they're not a team who have scored bundles of goals. No. Um, and and you know we've been unusually we've been quite good in front of goal the last five or six games. Um, so you know I'd like to. I don't think it's going to be high scoring, but I think you know perhaps a goal in it, two one, one nil. Um, something tight, and um, and you know, like like we all know, this end of the season, it doesn't have to be pretty. No, um, it would be nice to see Matt get a result in front of a home crowd, and uh, and three points just to uh, just to keep us in touch with those above us would be would be equally as nice. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think we're also going to be benefiting from Exeter's uh, lack of Giovanni Brown, who uh, this yeah. season, 12 goals, 9 assists. I mean, they're, they're pretty good numbers. Uh, unfortunately, off... Well, not off, he, he messed up. Uh, off-field disciplinary <laughs> issues means that he is currently pretty much suspended by Exeter yeah. and won't be making this game. Um, you know, but they do still have firepower. They've still scored goals. They're a difficult side, but, but then again, everybody at this league, uh, at this level, is... Is, is a difficult um, proposition. Um, I, you know, I personally, I, I think that, you know, like we've got goals in us, and uh, I, I, I find that at home we're usually a little bit, perhaps we're a little sturdier. Um, you know, Max is safe hands, so I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to go a two nil score prediction, and we'll, uh, yeah, finally get back in the win column against Exeter and make sure that their very long trip to us. Uh, is an unhappy one. Sorry if Absolutely. you're listening from Cornwall. Um, <laughs> there we go. So, uh, Adam, thank you so much for joining. Uh, no that will do it for this week. Thank you for joining for this first episode of the Heroes of HB12 podcast. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. You can also follow us at Twitter, uh, at Heroes of HB12, and you can follow Adam at APCWWFC. We'll be back next week for another action-packed episode. Until then, stay well and come on you blues.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff. Shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods. All at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.